We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Awabakal and Wanarua peoples. We acknowledge the Awabakal and Wanarua elders, both past and present. Now Andrew Johns. Sights a little hole himself. He's close to reaches and that's a title, Andrew Johns. Root streak from the little halfback. And that's a good reward for a great game. It is a boom match for the Newcastle Knights in first grade. Andrew Johns scores the try and that should wrap it up for the Knights. Coming to you live from Awabakal and Wanarua lands, you are listening to the Bay 53 podcast, part of the Sports Best Friends podcasting network and brought to you by A-plus Contracting and Polywelding, a podcast created by fans from the Bay 53 Supporters Bay at McDonald Jones Stadium, home of the mighty Newcastle Knights. We had fun the first time around. We're happy to come back for another. There's lots to talk about in Newcastle, as always, so let's not waste any time. Let's get straight into it. Bretto, another quiet week in Newcastle? Nothing going on in Sleepy Odd New Year, mate. Absolutely nothing. What what I always love about the off-season in Newcastle is that no matter how active and how (laughs) exciting it always is to sort of, you know, follow the other... You can only imagine what we're like when the games actually start for the year. <laughs> oh, that, that's, that, that's exactly right. Like the fan base and everyone that wants to have a crack of the night, so you're going mental already. It's not even February yet. <laughs> you know, now, wait till we wait till we start losing. <laughs> now I think we did pass a um, uh, it, it, what was it? I think it was eight weeks until um, the NRL men's season kicks off, four weeks until the NRLW uh, kicks off. So we're really not that far away from, um, you know, seeing some um, some action on the field. Yeah, it's really started to rip up. You've said a lot more stories in the media, you know, about training rather than just rumours and stuff, as much as the rumours are still around. But, yeah, it's certainly starting to ramp up. I always remember Roy Masters used to say that's all part of the theatre that makes rugby league so captivating. It wouldn't be the same without the off-field drama and theatre that um, that uh, you know captures the wider audience from what's happening uh, outside the game. I mean, at the end of the day, probably the two most sort of controversial-laden cities in Australia are Brisbane and Sydney. You know, they're the two cities where you know the underworld is sort of very Australian rather than the, the Melbourne style and uh, rugby league just part of that. It's all about the theatre. Oh, it's, um, yeah, look, no doubt about that. Now, look, um, this is only our second episode. I guess, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I speak on behalf of you as well when whoever's decided to come back for the second one, look, thank you so much, I guess, for the feedback that we've gotten uh, over the last week from episode one. Absolutely blew our minds. Uh, I think one of the things that I've said to a couple of people is uh, I've always loved talking about rugby league, the Knights in particular. Uh, I was very, very sort of surprised how many people were listen. Sorry, were happy to listen to me talking about it. That was uh, it was a pretty humbling experience. Yeah, it's um, it's been quite surprising. I was sort of shocked at the amount of actually non Knights fans that have listened. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and enjoyed it. That's that's been the really pleasing part that. It's not just for Knights fans, you know, we sort of talk about our club, but in a footy sense. And, yeah, it seems to be a bit of enjoyment for other fans too, which is great. 
Look, and on that note as well, I actually, I'm big on shout outs. I love giving shout outs where I possibly can. So uh, very keen to give a shout out to uh, young Dom Sullivan. I think it is on um, uh, on Twitter, uh, Tigers fan. And, and I've always sort of felt that the Knights and the Tigers in, in certain ways are, are sister clubs, but we won't go too far into that. But yeah, Dom was a Tigers fan um, and he gave us some really great feed- feedback in terms of... Uh, um, what he enjoyed listening. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly as you said, the fact that non-Knights fans were uh, happy to give it a run. And I know I'm doing a disservice to a lot of other non-Knights fans who did listen, but, yeah, we, we really do appreciate it. If you listen because you love us or you listen because you hate us, it's the same number. We're happy with that. That's exactly right. The, the end the end absolutely justifies the means. Um, and, look, you know, what Bretto and I said last week and we reiterated it again you know we we don't want to we don't want to do this separate we we are fans of the game and we want to interact with fans so we want to we want you to be a part of it as well as much as you can you know when the season kicks off obviously there'll be a, a lot of ways that you can do that but hit us up let us know um let us know what you what what gets you going i guess and um and what you think that we might be able to do with that and um, we're always open to ideas and stay tuned throughout the season. We'll have plenty of oppo previews, so you'll get to hear a lot about a lot of other clubs, not just the Knights. So, yeah, there's something for everybody. Now, Bretto, there's been a lot of sport that has sort of taken place since then. Um, it's a bit old news now, but I did want to take an opportunity just to very quickly talk about um, the Chiefs and the Bills uh, divisional round game in the NFL. I was at work at the time. And I came back and Twitter had just blown up with what was one of the most amazing sporting events that um, that you could possibly imagine. And it was just a great reminder about how good sport is. Mate, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, I've never been so nervous for both teams. Like, yeah. Neither of those teams are my team. And, you know, I actually sort of had a soft spot for both of them. And... Um, but I was going for the bills because I had a bit of financial investment in them <laughs> in the long run. But um, yeah, what what a game! Like the lead literally changed twice in the last thirteen seconds. Like yeah. unbelievable. And, and there was a couple of things that I sort of picked up from it as well. Is that it was a relatively high scoring game, and there are sometimes when you sort of look at high scoring games, you go, oh well, defense wasn't in, you know. But but this was one of those instances where the context the context around the points that were scored, because it was sort of around that twenty three to twenty one, with you know a few minutes to go, yeah. and then the final yeah. score line is sort of blown out. Yeah, and it it just reminded you that what you love one of the things that you love about sport, and we talk about this a lot, and it was it was a big criticism of rugby league, particularly last year, is that it's not the it's not the the points that are scored, it's the way that they're scored. It's the contest that people want to, that, that draws them in. It, you know, sometimes an 8-6 game can be just as enthralling as a as a 38-36 to 30, game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was that game perfectly because, as, as you said, you know, it was low, not relatively low scoring for quarterbacks of that quality and the defences were playing quite well. And then all of a sudden you go from that really enjoyable tense, you can't make a mistake or you're gone game to it's a shootout like yeah amazing something for everybody it was funny watching it as well for me i sort of uh that uh, you know josh allen playing against uh patrick mahomes and i'm a massive fan of patrick mahomes um i was saying to uh at swartzy on twitter that um i was bored you know about a year ago and i just jumped on youtube and started watching mahomes highlights 
and it reminded me of back in the day when I was watching Andrew John's highlights. Like, like that's how much that's how much excitement, yeah. or that, that's how much I enjoyed it. But that that Mahomes Allen battle, it absolutely took me back to the days of Joey and, and Freddie. Like, just yeah. two yeah. masters of their craft, just going at each other with only yeah. one man standing at the end. Yeah, and it's um, and the Mahomes, the Johns thing, I think is the physical side. Like, they're both very far. It's far from the, the sort of physical archetype that they need to be in the textbook to play that position. Oh, like very much so. Mahomes, you know, had the, the arm talent of as good as anyone's ever had, but he didn't get drafted top because he's not quite tall enough, he's not quite big enough, he's not quite fast enough. Mm. But, yeah, very Joey-like. All his ability is, you know, in his arms and in his head. I just love the game. But more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of Rugby League or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. Unique, affordable and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's Tees. You watch that, you think, well, that's, that's been an amazing sporting event uh, for the week. Um, and then last night, you know, an historic moment in Australian sport occurs when um, Ashley Barty becomes the first uh, both Australian and, you know, Australian woman to win the Australian Open singles title in 44 years. And she got the job done in straight sets to um, to lift the trophy at um, on Rod Laver Arena. Sister Ash. Sister Ash. That has to be the Barty Gulagong court now, doesn't it, Shirley? Oh, I don't think there's going to be any choice in the matter. It's uh, I think even Rod would happily just say, "Look, let's. We all know what's happening here. That's that. That's the. That's the new name for this." But I, I don't want to put you on the spot, and we, we didn't really talk about this beforehand. But I, I do want to get your perspective on it. You know, you you are one of the proudest Indigenous men, I, I, people I've ever met in my life. For you watching Ash last night. How did you feel about it? What, what what was going through your head as you were watching twenty you five know, year old Ashley Barty lift that trophy? The amazing thing about Ash is the fact that the natural thing that Indigenous athletes have is we have some physical traits about us that lend ourselves to being athletic. Ash yeah. Ash has all those in terms of the speed in the legs. But she's short. She, she does not look like a tennis player, but it's all heart. And to mm. me, that's the Indigenous in her. That's the, I want to do this for my people. And she's always we. It's never me. And that's who our people are. A, a few people did pick up on that, actually, in her post-match um, uh, speech. Where she, you know, she spoke. It was all about her, the team, her and the team. We did this. Yep. We've achieved that. And, um, and she, can't, she can't be called divisive because she never, she never sort of Gave away from the fact that she's representing Australia and she's an Australian. Yep. She mentions that every time. So there's nothing divisive about her. She just does what she loves to do and she does it for both the people of Australia and, more importantly, the First Nations people of this country. Bruno, uh, Kathy Freeman was in the crowd. Uh, Yvonne Gulligan Corley came out to present uh, the trophy to Ash. Uh, would you say a fairly you know, significant night for, um, well, I guess you know, particularly for those athletes, but Indigenous representation in general? Mate, those pictures, they had me, they had, they had the tears in the eyes. Yeah. The, um, yeah, those three powerful Aboriginal women just, 
owning it, owning who they are, owning what they represent, and the and the spotlight being on them is just incredible, mate. Absolutely incredible. I think I think off the back of that as well is particularly someone like Ash Barty. And look, if you want my opinion, this may sound a little bit sort of. Um, this may sound like I'm sort of uh, a bit of recency bias, but if you think about the, you know, two of the more iconic sporting moments in Australian sporting history, you know, over you know, just over the last two decades, the 2000 Olympics and now the 2022 Australian Open, Indigenous women have been yeah. the ones that have stood up, taken on that pressure of expectation, and delivered and delivered convincingly. Yeah, that that's exactly right. You know, like all the pressures on Kathy, and we were all worried that would it all fall apart, and she just dominated, dominated mm. like she was expected to, mm. and dominated like we hoped she would. And that's was the same. Didn't lose a set for the entire tournament. You know, second set yesterday, dead and buried. Oh no, we're in trouble here. No, not having it. I was I was fascinated by, and we won't go on for too long about this. Obviously, we you know we've got a lot of nights content that we do want to go to, but just while it's fresh in the memory. I was fascinated by the commentary of Jim Courier uh, in that second set. I'm pretty sure he said just just as it went to five a uh, one five, and the uh, and Danielle Collins, who I thought did exceptionally well in that match, but Jim Courier said, Ash Barty's not flustered. She's no. trying to figure this out. She's trying to yeah. think through the problem. Yeah, and that and that's exactly what she she talked about the entire tournament. She talked about post match was that. Because she can't hit it as hard as other girls, she her game is about problem solving. Mm. Her game is about using her strengths to find the weakness in the opposition. That's exactly what she did. She rode out that hot streak. She found out something she could attack, and she went after it. You know, speaking of Kathy Freeman, one of the things I do remember about the 2000 Olympics, and it's not a big deal. It's entirely understandable. Is that Kathy said, you know, in in hindsight, when she looked at those Olympics, she said, after that 400 metres, I was, I was emotionally spent. And she said, I ran the 200 metres individually. She said, I probably shouldn't have. Because she said, I, ju I, just, I just didn't have it in me to get up, which makes absolute sense. I think Ash can go in the other direction now. I think, because she's won the big titles before, she's got that weight of expectation off her shoulders now when it comes to the Australian Open. Like, she's done that. For her now, she's like, well, if I can do this, there's what else? There's nothing to stop me. I, I could do anything from now on because nothing will be as hard as trying to win that Australian Open, and I've achieved that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Wimbledon was amazing. It's the sort of iconic tennis tournament, but the mm. pressure that's on the Australian tennis players when they come here mm. is just on a whole other level. Like, it's, it's yeah your English player playing Wimbledon, like it's incredible the pressure that's on them. And we've had world number ones over the years that haven't even really got close at times. Yeah. Um, Ash has been, well, I, and I didn't realise this until it came up on the graphic last night, Ash has been number one for a, a 112 weeks and that will continue. Yeah. For the, that's that's an astonishing uh, streak of dominance, particularly when you can, like Serena Williams is still out there. You know, Naomi yeah. Osaka was, performing yeah. as well um, she's still so a, underrated she's yes. so underrated i reckon if you said uh, 100 people who's the number one tennis player in the world maybe 40 maybe mm. not even that would, would tell you ash party so um no yeah, that's exactly right she still managed to to go under the and i think that's uh, i think that's a, a testament to her 
her humility as well. Bredo, um, you know, we're already <laughs> several minutes into this um, this episode. We've already got so much more that we need to talk about. So, you know, we'll, we move on from our congratulations of um, Farash Barty. Um, and, uh, Bredo, let's, let's get stuck into it. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba Okay, one thing I did say a couple of times in last week's episode or episode number one was I was like, oh, we won't talk about it. We'll get to this later. And we didn't actually get to it later. So one of the questions that was brought um, up for last week's episode was from our good friend, uh, the Maitland Mumbler, who did want to discuss, well, who is going to be the hooker for the Newcastle Knights, at least for the first half of the season in light of Jaden Braley's uh, unfortunate injury. And um, it's probably a good thing that we didn't talk about it last week because even that's something that's developed uh, considerably since then. Bredo, who's, who's going to be wearing that number nine jersey for round one, rounds one to round 12? I think it'll be uh, Randall, but that's not what the media think. It's definitely not what the media think. What does um, the media... Well, what does the, what does the speculation um, say is going to be the case? Speculation is for one, James Seguiaro. Yes, that James Seguiaro. Corey Norman's best mate. So, <laughs> so um, one of the things that's actually really surprised me about us starting this podcast is the number of people that have just slid into our DMs with uh, little hot, like hot tips and uh, hot goss, and uh, look, breaking news uh, as far as I'm concerned here on the pod, we have it on exceptionally good authority that James Chico Seguiero has um, told his friends that the contract that he advised about on his Instagram story was with the Newcastle Knights. Bredo Segi is coming to Newcastle. Well, yeah, it seems to be the case. The uh, the doyen of Newcastle Rugby League, Barry Tilly, has quashed it and said it's not happening. But He said there, that several times. There is a lot of noise about it. And in terms of a fit, I'm not sure. But the Knights certainly need an experienced hooker, and he fits that bill. Um, not good, hopefully good friend of the pod one day, um, but certainly uh, I like to think a good friend of you and I, uh, Mitch Doyle, who's, uh, who does tremendous content uh, over on NRL Boom Rookies. Uh, I had an opportunity to speak with him about the potential for Segiaro coming here. Uh, he thinks it's a risk. He thinks you're talking about a, a hooker who has very limited ability to play for 80 minutes. Uh, in the modern game, you need a number nine that's going to play 80 minutes. He's been out of the game for a while. He's coming back from a, a drug suspension. Um, and his words to me were, if you're signing Seguiera, I hope you've got other options because I, I don't think he's the... I get the impression he's probably not the silver bullet. Yeah, and I can't disagree with Mitch there. Like, I think when I think of Segi, I think of peak Segi, and I go, oh, that guy would be amazing. Absolutely, mm. absolutely amazing to feel to feel the whole till Jada comes back. But yeah, that's not who Seggy is at the moment. So we've had um, there's been a fair amount of speculation as well, like not just on James Seguiero. Um, the Josh Hodgson's name was thrown around a fair bit. Uh, thoughts on Josh Hodgson? I think that would have been a possibility. 
if the money was right, but Canberra were never going to let him go cheaply. They were, they were, they wanted to basically get out of his deal, and the Knights were never going to pay that. Uh, I, I've, I don't think the type of footballer that Josh Hodgson is as a hooker is the type of hooker we need uh, in Newcastle this year. No, uh, I, I, I think I think the fit would have been simply because he could play hooker till Jaden's back, yep. and, then he, and then he could play lock. He's a very he's a very ball dominant sort of he hooker. Is, yeah. Yeah. We need a, we need a more defensively strong yeah. dis- ball distributing hooker, which is Randall. Correct. Um, I, I think R- Randall is probably still um, you know the hot tip to take the role. But another one that at least made it into the news was this young Kobe Ruggles. Bredo, do you know anything about um, Kobe Ruggles uh, signed from the North North Sydney Bears New South Wales Cup team? I know zilch other than the things I've read in the last sort of week or so. He used to be a boxer? He used to be a boxer. He was a boxer. He was a boxer and he had to decide between boxing and rugby league. He wanted to have a real crack at the game and he's decided to come on a train and trial thing and apparently he's um, kicked a few goals while he's been here. You can't ask for much more than... You know, making a right impression from the from the get go, or you know, putting in your best um, your best efforts, you know, off a fresh signing. I don't think Kobe is the answer, um, but but I like that sort of signing from the club. You know, thinking outside the square, trying to find that you know that diamond in the rough, because you know that's what rugby league's all about, isn't it? Fredo. So so many great rugby league players come from absolutely nowhere. Bredo, I'm, I'm momentarily distracted um, as we speak. Uh, potential that um, Segi is actually signing with Manly. So there you go. That's <laughs> that is the latest breaking uh, news. So you, and he's an even worse fit for Manly. <laughs> but as we said, this is all part of the theatre of rugby league. Who, in fact, knows? Um, like- yeah, they've got a hooker that's either in jail or at least on charges, and they're going to sign a guy with the history of Seggy. <laughs> He's done it again, Des. <laughs> the mad scientist, as Roy Masters used to call him, and uh, I think he's there's no mad is definitely not is doing a fair amount of lifting in that uh, in that phrase. You are listening to the Bay Fifty Three podcast, Bruno. Uh, Players with questionable off-field um, backgrounds are not, you know, it seemed to be a running theme with um, with the Knights, uh, at least over the last couple of weeks. I, I don't think you and I are going to give too much airtime to the Blake Ferguson rumour. That was that was rubbish from second one that it was released. Zero chance. Never happening. But there is another uh, spine player in the market looking for a run. It's questionable whether you can register his contract, but some in the media will have you believe Anthony Milford is coming to Newcastle. What's your take on that? Well, yeah, according to some pretty, you know, pretty well-known sources, it's done. He's coming to Newcastle for one year before going to the Dolphins in 23, which is um, interesting considering that he couldn't play for South because they would get a contract registered, yet the Knights are going to register his contract. I don't know how that works. So um, let, let's do a bit of a timeline on this. I, I, this is a bit of a curveball to you as well, but I thought it would be it would at least be interesting to, 
you know, get a very vague timeline on on the Anthony Milford. Where is he going? You know, it's not a saga, but certainly. Um, Milford, from what I understood, signed a contract with the Rabbitohs in July last year. Yes. Now, his difficulty, he played out the season uh, with uh, the Broncos. He was in and out of reserve grade. He, yeah, he, um, he, he finished off with a win against the Knights again. Um, season's over. He then gets into trouble. And we're talking about October here. It was around October that the charges were late, or was it, as, was it even as late as November? It was, it was after the season. He gets in trouble. Now, he signed a contract in July, and we get to November, and the NRL are saying, we will not register that contract. Yes. So even though it was supposed to be done in July, it obviously wasn't done because the contract still needed to be registered. I, I, I'm not up to you know, up to speed on the on how these things operate, but is it is it standard practice in rugby league to sign a contract and wait to register it, or do you sign and immediately register it with the NRL? I wouldn't say it's standard practice to to sign it immediate uh, to sign it and register it immediately. I think this does go on a bit. I think players and agents and teams come to an agreement and it's a done deal, and there might be handshake or slightly more and maybe something on paper but it's not actually officially registered at the NRL yet no okay but, so but, and, and one, can i just go one of the reasons for that is that you can't register a contract till you can prove the NRL that you'll be below the salary cap for the following year and yes. you'll have a spot of and you'll have a spot available and i would just suspect south at that stage probably already had their salary cap full for this year and had to create some space okay so there's a bit of uncertainty there about because this is all speculation, you know, we're just trying to piece it all together. But there's actually a little bit of uncertainty there in terms of when Souths should have registered his contract. You know, should they have? Because if they'd registered his contract before the assault charges, would the contract have stayed registered or would have they deregistered it? No, he would have been under the um, no fault stand down. Um, but he would still be a registered contract, just like uh, JDB was. So in a lot of ways, not registering that contact contract did Souths a favour because they don't have to pay a player who can't play, who potentially, potentially wouldn't be able to play for them. Correct. He would still be getting paid at the moment. He would have been getting paid since the 1st of November, and he obviously hasn't been getting paid by Souths. And I just wonder whether Souths weren't 100% in on the deal. It was obviously a, um, a Wayne sort of, um, thing with MILF because they're in MILF are tight and mm -hmm. I wonder whether maybe the, the higher ups or uh, Joseph Dimitri um, had their doubts and so they didn't go all in and they sort of saw this as a chance to slide out the back door and keep their heads up but yeah he certainly, South certainly are crying about him not going there I'm yet to speak to a South fan who's disappointed that they won't have uh, Anthony Milford out on the field for them this this year Anthony Milford does nothing for them. They they don't need him. You know, they they need to play the young guys. They need to move on. That yeah, having Mill for a year does nothing for them at all. Right. So so Souths have, have definitely moved on from, from or at least they think they've definitely moved on from Anthony Milford. So you've got a, a player here now who's available, but the NRL have said we won't register a contract. So the Knights come in. So the Knights 
could they announce the signing and say, well, we're going to wait to see. We, we, we've signed this player. We'll wait to see what happens with this court case. And if it's successful, we'll register it with the NRL. Could they do that? Yeah, they can absolutely do that. And that's the reports that the, the Knights are fairly confident the, the charges will be dropped and Anthony's can't be confident of that happening. And if the charges are dropped, well, then, yeah, it's smooth sailing. There's no reason why a contract for Anthony wouldn't get registered. I'm not even going to pretend to know the, the, the finer details about um, Anthony Milford's uh, assault charges. Um, you know, my, my general feeling on these is, um, you know, the, the less you say about them, the, the better for, for all involved. Yeah. Um, but I certainly have, to a certain extent, um, been curious as to how it's all going to play out. Um, he's due before court in the middle of February, um, I wouldn't imagine it would so imagine it would take too long. So th- there's the potential there that he'll know the outcome by that, at least before the end of before the end of February, well before the season starts. Yeah, that, and that that's exactly the timeline that I've understood and the things I've read about it is that it will be dealt with over yeah that middle mid to late February sort of situation. So before the season starts, um, the Knights will know where he stands and whether he can be registered. And I actually think the Knights are in a good position in the terms of the charges are really bad. It's assault on a male, two women, plus his partner was involved. So all those things, if he's in the slightest bit guilty of any of that, we don't want him anywhere near our club. And I don't think the Knights would want him anywhere near the club. So the Knights are in the position where if those things are proven or he pleads guilty to them, then they can just walk away, you know, and just go, it's not our problem and do the right thing, or it all gets dropped, the truth comes out, or even if it doesn't, you know, he's actually been charged with nothing, the club go, well, we're happy to, we're happy to do him because we need him on the field. All right, Bredo, let's, you and I look into the future. Um, this, this was our big, we thought we had other things that were going to be the big topic for the week, but, you know, it's a never-changing beast. The, the Anthony Milford story is the big talking point for the for the week, you know, certainly for the Newcastle Knights, possibly for, for Rugby League. Uh, we put it out there on the social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and we got good friend of the pod, Matt Clark. Um, oh, sorry, Matt Clark did us the, the favour of, sorry, uh, sharing uh, our, our question on Facebook. And um, as you can imagine, Knights fans are, um, they're very passionate about the response. I, I, I want to I wanna read through a few of them, uh, particularly the, the ones from Facebook. We do appreciate the engagement. Um, Jackson Brown was saying he doesn't understand what the problem with the signing is. It's only going to be for one deal. It's a small value deal, and he will add something to us. Now, on the flip side of that, you've got a James Lawler who said, um, how is this different to Matt Lodge? There are lots of rumours about uh, him coming last year. Um, he thinks there should be a, there needs to be a character um, assessment. There, there needs to be a line in the sand. Um, I want to I want to grab some of our comments off uh, Twitter as well. Um, I think I think Matt Clark uh, is in agreement with you, Bredo. From a footballing point of view, he's in. There's undoubtedly talent there. Um, you know move to the supportive culture that Newcastle can give to him and see if we can get the best out of him. But from a character point of view, massive, massive reservations and um, any guilt would, um, would scupper the deal uh, 
uh, anyway. I liked um, I liked this from Peter Denning, very good friend of the pod, good friend of ours, at least on social media for a long time. His concern isn't the footy; it's about the it's about the court case. Um, he just doesn't like the feel of it one bit, and the issues that that might bring to the club. He says, "Look, at the end of the day, it's the club's and the NRL's choice. Uh, if he does have to spend a year here, you know, behave off the field and give us the best that you've got um, on the field." Bruno, it's it, it's a touchy subject. Um, I sort of, I, I'm I'm. I'm happy to, or I'm curious to get your take on it all. I think it's fairly clear that fans have, have sort of sat in two camps on the topic. Yeah, it's exactly right. And even without the charters, Milford is a divisive figure because everyone thinks of the million-dollar player that never lived up to the salary and the poor years he's had. Well, the Knights aren't going to be paying him a million dollars. They're going to be paying him a few hundred thousand for one year to fill a gap we desperately need filled. So in terms of football, I think it's smart business, especially in terms of the idea that a lot of us, and I'm certainly of the belief, that KP will be playing 5'8 in 2023 and Bailey Hodgson will be fullback, but Bailey's not ready to play fullback yet, so Mill fills that hole and then KP moves next year. In terms of all that, I think it's really, really smart business. And if the Roosters or Melbourne did it, people would be absolutely creaming themselves because this is just how good teams operate they feel the gaps they need to fill at a good value for money signings, and that's what it would be. The other stuff now. Now, I was one of the most vocal people, especially on social media, about Matt Lodge. I did not for one second entertain the idea that my club would should sign Matt Lodge. I was adamant that I will not support anything that has anything to do with Matt Lodge because he's got a history of domestic violence from all the way back to uh, his younger days right through to the incident in New York where he not only um, physically assaulted people, he threatened to kill a woman and her children. So the Matt Lodge situation compared to Anthony Milford, they're not the same thing. Anyone says they are the same thing, don't know the facts or don't care because it's the MILF. So that's just wrong. But it's still, the charges still involve violence against a woman. So if those charges are in any way substantiated, he cannot be part of our club. It's funny you should mention the Matt Lodge uh, uh one, Bretto, um, very, uh, very good friend of ours, uh, Sally Ann Hurley, who, um, who used to run a, a really fascinating pod, How to Love the Shit Out of Life. And has a book uh, by the same name, go out and yeah, buy it. Yeah, please do. She's uh, such a positive, um, she's a funny person to meet in, in real life. It's um, There's something very grounded and, and positive and uplifting when you're around her. I, I, but um, it's funny that you mentioned Matt Lodge because uh, Sally had this to say. It's not necessarily his playing ability or the on-field side of things I have an issue with. I'm not sure why we are entertaining the idea of signing someone facing fairly serious charges after all the club, uh, sorry, after all the drama the club went through by almost signing Matt Lodge, why this? Bretto, you've said that the Matt Lodge thing is separate from this. They are different, but they do share similarities. If we're going to make a big thing, if we as a club are going to make a big thing about character, and uh, Uncle Phil, Phil Gardner, made that very clear when he decided to uh, fine Jacob Saifidi a quarter of his salary for getting his own leg broken, through no through you know the actions of someone else character is a big part of you being a part of this club so with all of that in mind 
even if Anthony Milford, you know, escapes these charges, does he still fit fit the character criteria to be a part of the Newcastle Knights? My personal opinion, no, no, I don't think that he should be around the Knights. But I'm thinking it purely. Put it in in this sort of box. Adam O'Brien is a coach under pressure. Adam O'Brien knows he needs to win this year. Anthony Milford on the field helps him win this year. I have no doubt at all that he is in the background saying, if these charges do not get held up in the court of law, we want Anthony Milford on the field because he will help us win. The sticky point is the great man, Uncle Phil. And you're right. He is a character guy and he built his business career over being of high character and employing people of high character. I don't think that Anthony Milford fits his criteria or what we expect of the Knights, but I also know I think the Knights are in win-now mode, and I think that that line might be a little blurred at the moment. Bruno, we've got, we've got more comments here on Facebook. Rob Short says he's rather signed Ferguson. <laughs> um, Grant no. Solway said that the Knights would definitely be getting Milford cheap. He does add some depth. Uh, I particularly liked uh, this podcast uh, sorry this uh comment from uh craig shaw which was another bloody knights podcast i say sign him (laughs) (laughs) um i've gotten a couple of comments privately from um some good friends of me who've you good friends of mine who've used the term cooked so we we seem to have um, three three um, camps now. We've got one camp camp that says the ability is there. We might be able to get the best out of him. We've got the other camp that says the character just doesn't stand up. We don't need that character around the club. We now have a third camp that says no, he's done. He has nothing more to offer. It is a waste of our time, just from a purely talent perspective, to try and bring him and get something out of us. He's just out of him. He's just going to let the club down. Yeah, the the third one I completely disagree with. It's I understand like his form has been atrocious for two years, but we're going to be paying very little, and if it doesn't work out, it's not going to hurt us too much in the long run, and we're going to be back where we are now, which is Adam Clemmer, Phoenix Crossland playing that position. I think it's a bit of a low risk, high reward type situation. To me, uh, it's purely about the character stuff. Gavin, Gavin Armitage, from a football perspective, does agree with you. He says he actually offers uh, a fair amount of experience and knowledge. I mean, even if he ends up playing reserves all year. Um, yeah, absolutely. He's a great, he's, And he's a great foil for Jake Clifford. Jake Clifford wants to organise and kick. Yep. Anthony Milford wants to do anything but organise and kick. They're actually yep. a, good, a good match. Yeah. No, and, and, and I think that's one of the things that Anthony Milford was probably missing for a while at Brisbane. I mean, Brodie Croft was supposed to be that organising halves partner yeah. that, you know, that just never eventuated. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I, I um, you and I were given an opportunity to give some uh, some uh, information uh, you know, to help it with a with a story that'll be that'll be up uh, probably before this pod goes to air about our thoughts on um, on. Anthony Milford, I, I maintain what I said in that. I'm like, look, at the end of the day, you'd like to think that the club is taking into consideration, you know, what's best for the game, what's best for the team, what's best for the club, what's best for the town, what's best for the fans. You know, if they're thinking of all of those things when they make that, if and if, let's be clear, if they're making a decision on, on Anthony Milford, because the last thing the Knights said about Anthony Milford, they were categorical. We have no interest in this player. 
So if if that's not true and they are actually considering it, you'd hope that they're making the decision on based on the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Phil Gardner is not only the CEO of the Knights, he's the CEO of West Group. West Group have their, their name plastered all over the Knights stuff. They cannot associate their brand with bad with bad stuff in, term, in, in Knights plays and Knights behaviour, which is why Jacob Sofidi got smashed, which is why they end up walking away from Matt Lodge. West can't associate with that sort of stuff. So I don't I don't doubt that if it did get to the point where we signed Anthony, um, Phil and the West board would have done a lot of due diligence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So you you would you would think and you would safely assume that any decision they're going to be make will be made on the right information. Yeah. Um cards on the table, gun to your head, mate. Do you think Anthony Milford will be lining up for the Newcastle Knights come round one? No. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. Do you think he'll be lining up for the Knights at any point this season? I think that's more likely, but still no. Okay. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, the, the problem is that I, I want to be, believe the Knights when they say things publicly. I mean, they were so good. You, you, you said it last week. You said, how did they keep the TOA departure under wraps? Like those things never, like that never came, that didn't come out until the night before it was made official. So the Knights suddenly have gotten good at keeping th- these things under wraps. And yet a long, a week later, or a couple of weeks later, along comes this this major talking point. And if it is to believe, as the, the Triple M journo Dobbo has uh, got good mail on, if he's to believe, well, how did the Knights let this one get out? So I, I want to believe what they say. I just, I just don't know. I, I, I gen- Dobbo, Dobbo is your Wayne Bennett insider. So anything Wayne wants to get into the media goes through Dobbo. So I think it's coming from Mills Camp to Wayne to Dobbo. You think? Do you think there's a hint of, uh, I mean, agent not manipulation, but at the an agent sort of putting the, yeah. the, the story out there to see, see what impact it's going to have. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Um, you get your player out there and you get clubs supposedly interested and other clubs go, oh, what's behind this? Maybe the charges aren't as bad as we thought. Let's have a look. And that's how you drop a bit of support if your player hasn't got a club. And the Dolphins have said if Anthony doesn't play first grade this year, they won't sign him for next year. Anthony needs this desperately to find a club for this year. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Albert. Albert will score. Bredo, when it when it comes to Queensland players linked with the Knights, we do know one that is definitely going to be lining up for the Knights come round one, and he is a current um, yeah, a Queensland Origin player. Look, you and I discussed, at least we touched on very briefly, the return of Dane Gagai last week. But what we didn't talk about was uh, what he's done on uh, the Knights' social medias, uh, social socials, which is uh, he's done a, a fantastic episode uh, on the Knights HQ podcast. They are really um, hammering Dane in all their social um, uh, networks. They really are trying to. I don't know if get the fans on side is the right thing because I think the fans are on side anyway. 
but they're really going for the feel good story about the 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 club, the club legend maybe not, but you know the well regarded player at the club coming home. The Knights are really pushing that wheelbarrow. I don't blame them. I think. No. Um, here you go. No, um, the thing with Dane is that he's a guy of even though he had his troubles and that's how he ended up at the Knights in the first place. He's a real a real guy of high character. And the Knights yeah. know that. And he's very marketable, especially locally. And he really does lift his standards in the outside view of the club. Yeah, very much so. Um, I want to touch on a little bit in terms of that that off-field, that stuff. Um, I, look, I, I like to think I've got a fairly good read on when players are being genuine. Or not. You know, you know, sometimes you're, you're listening to a player and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure if you really meant, oh, you know, I, 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 I want to. Daily uh, Jerry Evans. Yeah, okay. So there, there we go. I, was, I wanted to tiptoe around. I didn't want to name names. But so you, you, there are some players you just get that sense. You're like, look, I'm not sure how you. You listen to Dane on the on the podcast with um, with Frank Barrett. And the way he talks so fondly, so fondly about, you know, that last spoon season. And he's driving, he's coming into the stadium, watching a father with his son um, or with his children in their Knights jerseys, just going to the game because that's what you do. The way he spoke about that, you, could, you just felt that connection that he has with this team and this town. Mate, I was just beside myself listening to that. Absolutely bizarre because it's it's me, like it's me my walking the stadium with my boys all yeah. in our jerseys. The boys going, Are we gonna win today, Dad? Me going, Oh yeah, I think we've got a chance. And also and of all, all of us knowing, no, we've not really got a chance. But we don't care. We're going to the football to see our boys play. That that's so funny that you say because I, I was actually picture <laughs> I was picturing Dane looking at you walking with with your boys to the game. Because I was like, Oh, he was probably uh, there's no way Bredo was missing that game. Yeah, he's probably looking <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the other thing that I really loved about what Dane had to say was that you've, yeah, he's made it very clear. He still feels like he owes us something. He, he's still, you know, not embarrassed by the Spoon years, but certainly he feels like he owes it to the fans and to this club to, um, you know, fulfil something that, that was that was unfulfilled, to, um, to get the job done that he wasn't able to get done the first time. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because he got really good money, you know. Now you can understand that he got paid really well. And to me, he goes out for money. I don't think he owes the club anything. But I can see from his perspective, he got paid a lot of money and did win a lot of football games. Of course, he's going to feel like you know he wants to come back and see those fans that he used to watch over the fence be upset week after week after week. You know, see the see the smiles back. See those kids with you know gay eye in the back of their jerseys. You know that's what he wants to see. I think um, I think one of the things that I just loved about the Dane interview was like everything about it was Newcastle. You know he's talking about the fans. Um, you know, he's talking to Frank Barrett, a, a local media sort of celebrity in his own right. And you know Dane sort of spoke about Newcastle and those familiar local – because when you get to Newcastle, like, we all know each other. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, there, there are no – there are secrets, but then there are no real secrets in terms of your close connections in Newcastle. Like, you're sort of 
you know, it's more of a case of two or three degrees separation throughout the whole town as opposed to your normal six degrees. So it was, it, it, you know, when you when you were looking at uh, when you were listening to Dane talking about it, you're like, yeah, he's bought in. He is he is yeah. in this. And um, yeah, like 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 we we said last week. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the night's podcasts, get on it. They are they're just fascinating stuff. Um, they're fascinating episodes to listen to, and you you really do get genuine insight into some of the characters that are involved in the club and the team. Yeah, and you sort of think you know a, a podcast run by the club, you wouldn't find out anything in the club that way, you know, and that's obviously true. But Frank certainly doesn't hide things. You know, he, yes. he asks questions that you you wouldn't expect to hear from the club, and quite often you get the you get the answers you want to hear too. Um, just on the night socials as well, they've changed their hashtag. Uh, I don't know why. I sort of and wasn't like it was a big announcement or anything, but um, they went from turn up, charge up to all red and blue. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure that was heavily market researched <laughs> to come to that outcome. Um, Bretto, I think we might sign off at least on uh, all the comings and goings and goings on in the uh, in, in that period of the Newcastle Knights and once again we have run considerably over time but that's what talking uh, about the Knights does to you and I uh, mate we we really wanted to t- jump into this and I still think it is a massive story that is still probably going a little bit just a little bit under the radar uh, COVID uh, COVID-19 the Omicron variant it's not going anywhere, uh, for, at least for the short term. Uh, it is going to be the, the biggest story in rugby league once the season kicks off. It's already one of the biggest stories in the off-season. And, um, yeah, what is rugby league in Australia going to do to combat it? It's it's the unknown, isn't it? Like, it's just, yeah, it's crazy how much effect it's had on the A-League and the NBL and the uh, big bash, like essentially, the big bash was decided by COVID. Mm. And um, yeah, it's it's a fast. It's gonna be a fascinating story the whole year this year. Well, it's funny what you say about the A League. So, um, I'll, I'll, as we're recording this, I'm uh, dusting myself off from another letdown by uh, by the Newcastle Jets, uh, letting a one nil win slide into a two one uh, loss in stoppage time. But the Jets at the moment are bottom of the table and. They're still bottom of the table uh, after that loss. But the funny thing about it is that they've only played five games. Now, Sydney, who are entrenched in the top six, they've actually played 10. So that gives you an idea as to how much it's impacted on the A-League. The Jets going into tonight were five games behind another team. Now, they'll make those games up. Well, you can't do that in rugby league. No, no there's no playing three games a week in rugby league. You are listening to the Bay 53 podcast. The off-season, as, and as we've pointed out, there's only a, a couple more months left of the off-season uh, before the NRL kicks off. And look, you look at the NRLW as well. This is, um, this is uh, attempt two at kicking off the, the 2021 season, given the impacts of COVID. But in this off-season alone, my last count was the Knights, the Panthers, the Roosters, the Broncos, they've all lost their squads at some point on account of positive um Positive COVID tests. I've got no doubt that it's more. I've got no doubt that it's going to be more. So even those teams there have had their pre-seasons interrupted um, by the Omicron variant. Yeah, and that's at a time when 
they weren't mingling with other clubs, you know, they were just in their own little bubble and yeah, they're out in the public and all that, but they weren't traveling. They weren't mixing with other clubs. They weren't in such a sort of situation. They weren't in a situation where they're on planes all the time and they were still getting cases. Once the season kicks off and plays are bouncing all over the country, all over the East Coast, it's going to be absolute mayhem, I think. Bredo, let's, I mean, let's, let's look at a potential scenario, I guess. So let's, let's use a, a, a what if. I mean, let's look at the Knights, okay? Let's look at the Knights. The Knights are going into round four or five. I think, um, I think round three, round three, do we play Penrith? Anyway. Yeah, round three, Penrith, round four, and George, I'm pretty sure. Okay. So we're heading down to Panther. We're getting ready to go to Panther Stadium. Boom. There's been an outbreak. 15 of our top 30 are gone. We can't field a team. What is the NRL doing? What are the Knights doing in that situation? Are they pushing ahead with the game? I think rugby league are because I think that rugby league is the one sport where television rules and the, and the TV networks will not allow games to be cancelled. And you can't, as we said previously, you can't really postpone because you can't make them up. Um, we saw, I mean, we saw what happened in 2020 when they had to suspend the season. You know, the, the league wasn't producing games. The broadcasters didn't have games to produce, uh, to broadcast, sorry. And so that impacted on the financial stability of the sport. And that, so as you say, they will put games on no matter what. So what are the Knights doing? Are they, are they fielding half their New South Wales yeah, Cup the, team? Yeah, yeah, they're fielding a team that's going to get, get beat by 80. That's what they're doing. And the NRL have shown they don't care about competitiveness of competition because they'll still get eyeballs. They just want the game on the TV. So let's, let's, have a, let's just have a bit of a look. Let's, let's have a bit of a look at our administration. And look, we, Bredo, you and I understand that running a national domestic competition slash league is not an easy job. We, we appreciate that. We're, you and I are two guys with, you know, recording on a Sunday night, chatting about the footy. Okay, so, so we appreciate it's not an easy job. There are a lot of moving parts. P, Peter Volandis is, for all intents and purposes, running the game at the moment. He's the, he's the head honcho, head honcho, sorry. And he has uh, had an interview published uh, on the da- via the Daily Telegraph during the week promoting the game, you know, talking about the things that he's achieved, that he wants to achieve. Let's use the example. I want to talk about the example of uh, what he's done with the six again rule. And if, if, if it, just very quickly, if everyone thinks that I'm jumping and chopping and changing topics, just stay with me here. Bredo, what's your take on what Peter Volandi's latest update is in terms of the six again rule? Talk me through about what you think it is, what, you, what your thoughts are on it. I think that it's... I, I don't think he changes the rule. I think it's. I, I think the rule is essentially the same thing with the same effects, with a different PR spin on it. Is that what do you think? That's exactly what I think, and that's exactly what I sort of hoped you'd say. Is that there's this rule that they brought in place, which was supposed to produce an outcome. 
certain parts of that rule didn't produce that outcome. The majority of the rule. Okay, but let's just say certain parts of it for, for, for fairness sake. So instead yeah. of getting rid of the rule, they said, well, we're going to change the rule again. So they're, they're adding layers on top of layers of what, for all intents and purposes, appears to be a bad decision. Now, this is why I raise it, okay? A six-again rule on a rugby league field is really not that big a deal. In, in the grand scheme of things, from an existential perspective, it's minuscule. But this is a simple decision that was probably not handled as well in the first instance and definitely not handled particularly well in the second instance that just continue it compounds on itself in yep. terms of how badly it's 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 working out and this administration that we're led to believe is going to adequately and appropriately handle a health issue when it comes to the way the game is run I personally don't think that fans are out of line for not having the 100% faith that Omicron is going to be handled you know, appropriately when required through the season. This administration, the Landys at the top, changed a significant rule of the game mid-season. Mid season, they changed the rule because they wanted to, and then in the off, and then after it didn't work in the off season, everyone went, "Can we change it?" And they went, "No, we're not going to change it." How could anyone ever think that that administration are going to be able to handle something that can literally change minute to minute? Because as you said, a team could be on the bus, you know, a, te- a team could be in the dressing shed it will change game by game. Like it's a, a night's game might be affected. They might say, well, you guys have got to play. Mm. But, you've, but you've got to play with whoever's available. And their reserve grade might have played that afternoon. They got a night, mm. they got a night game at 7.30. Their reserve grade played at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They went, we don't care. Those guys have got to come and play. And then no one would be flabbergasted to see Valenti the next day if they had a different club and say, well, you can play tomorrow now. We'll give you an extra day's grace. This administration have shown that they can't be trusted with the game. That's um, as we said, it's obviously a difficult situation. Um, we don't pretend to know the answers. I'm going to put you on the spot though, Bretto. You're in the position to run the game, and I appreciate again. I've done this to you a bit tonight, where I'm just throwing things at you that we haven't discussed before. <laughs> You're running the game. You find out that a team only has 14 fit players on account of the rest of them testing positive to COVID. Well, what are you doing? What, what decision do you, are, are you gonna, going to make for the best interest of the game at heart? I Well, the first option is to postpone for 48 hours. Is, will that help the situation? If I postpone it for 48 hours, will that then enable this team to field more players? Or will it enable them to get the guys that they need to get up to speed ready to go? So that's the first mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. Barring that, I think that the end of the season needs to be flexible. Yeah. We, ne- we need to be able to push things back. You know, we need to be able to, like, that. there needs to be a point where you can go, that's a line in the sand. That game now is going to happen on such and such a date. And we, and we need to be able to make up games. 
because you just cannot change it minute to minute and affecting different teams of different teams in different ways because that just takes the entire integrity of the competition away. That's exactly. I'm probably on the same page with you on that. Is that the? I think at the end of the day, there needs to be flexibility in the in the way the the season pans out towards the end, where you just say, look, you you, you go to every effort to play every game. In the worst case scenario, where certain games can't be had, depending on that, we we will allow up to three weeks at the end of the end at the end of the season, uh, to delay the finals to make sure that all games are played. But the yeah, first do, thing, yeah, do, do, do they say the month of September is now catch up month? The finals will be played through October. In September, we're going to catch up every game that needs to be caught up. Now, here's a potential problem with that, Bretto. I'm Melbourne Storm. I've finished in the top two. I haven't missed a game all season. I now don't play football for a month because I'm waiting for other teams to catch up to decide who finishes seventh and eighth. Correct. That's. It's a tough. It's that, a tough. It, it's ter- it's terrible luck, but it's better than the alternatives. It's better. It's better than the alternatives of putting guys that aren't ready to play that's standard in danger. It's better than making teams play short. It's better than all the alternatives. And yeah. clubs just need to wear it. That it's far from perfect, but it's the best option. Look, I, and we I, know in rugby league that everyone's too selfish to think that. <laughs> that's rugby league and. I guarantee you the 87 Daily Telegraph stories about how the league are out to destroy Melbourne and not, not about what Melbourne doing the comp and whoever else. But you can't, you just can't put clubs in a position where they can't field 17 fit competitive players. Look, um, it, uh, it's, it, it's, it's much like the Anthony Milford space. You know, watch this space. I think the space, though, is going to be a much longer one in terms of this will be, this will go on. Um, throughout the course of the season, um, you know the the scenario that you and I have looked at as well. We've only looked at what happens, you know, when um, you know regular season games are here. Well, what happens if a finals game? Yeah, absolutely, is impacted. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. What, what happens if two, two days after the grand final, one of the teams have a COVID outbreak, mm. which which just happened in the BBL competition? And look, the the funny thing is, is that we've already seen players' reluctance to enter into bubble-like uh, conditions are uh, restricting uh, what they are and aren't allowed to do. But the in players, that week... The players you won't accept the bubble this year. They, will, oh. they just won't accept it. No, no, no. And look, I'm certainly... I want to... I'm absolutely not suggesting that, again, in, in any way, shape or form. Uh, but there is the... You know, when it comes to finals, do you say, look, you've, you've earned the... You've been given the privilege to play in finals this year. We are asking you that you all enter into bubble-like conditions at least for these up to four weeks yeah. to ensure that we don't miss any games. Yeah, it, it, that may be the solution, that they go into origin camp type things where they're not necessarily in a tight bubble, but they, mm. you know, they're all in the one place. Their, their movements are sort of well-known. I think that's, yeah, a strong possibility. So, so look, you know... We've only spoken about this for you know a, a few minutes. It's going to be a massive issue, though, and fans need to prepare themselves for that. You know, we we sort of um, and again, I'm, I'm I had the um, had the opportunity to listen to the Boom Rookies um, discuss it a little bit during the week, and, and they're right. They, they're, these are people. This is their job. They are not there just solely as our entertainment vehicle. 
Yeah. These are real life people who have to experience real life um, sort of day to day activities outside of the game and the decisions that are made about the game and what they need to do for the game will impact them outside of that game. And I I can only hope, again, as with the Knights when it comes to Milford, that the administration are looking at everything that they can to ensure that the best outcome for all involved is, uh, is put in place. Because it's not only about physical health in this situation, it's about mental health too. Yeah, correct. And this, and this will be the third year the players going through this, and that's going to have some dire consequences if it all turns to custard again. Mate, I think I think I think we're sort of happy to put a put a ribbon in or, or put a bow in um, in COVID for the moment. I'm I'm sort of in the mood to talk about far more exciting things. Are you happy to happy to kick on? Let's go, mate. Fredo, uh, I don't think it's any secret that you and I firmly believe that the greatest player, the best player in the competition at the moment will be wearing red and blue with the number one on his back come round one, one uh, K Ponga uh, of the, for the Newcastle Knights. Fredo, how lucky are we to have this man running around for our team? Our fans don't appreciate him enough. They do not appreciate what we have, what we get to see every week, what we get to see live. He's a generational talent. Now, I'm not suggesting that's how he's played so far, but that's the talent he has. I um, I get a lot of things wrong in rugby league. I, I, and I said last week I got it wrong. We were like, oh, taking a taking a pretty big risk on this on this young kid. But that aside, when I watch him play. And I hear some of the criticism from inside and outside our fan base. I I actually do start to do I do I not get the game and not in terms of uh you know I'm on a I'm on a high level high functioning level when it comes to understanding rugby league I accept that, but do I just do I just not understand rugby league? Am I looking at at something different that's happening on the field? that other people seem to be saying that I'm not. Because I see the things that Kalen does. You know, I see the effort that he puts in for the team. This is a guy who wants to win, and he wants to win for us. But you listen to so many people, and they'll tell you that he is just not good enough. The criticism goes with the salary. I accept that, and I'm sure Kalen accepts that too. But the criticism is so over the top most of the time. I've never known a player that can do nine good things and one bad thing and that one bad thing will be everywhere for day after day after day mm. i've never i've never seen it before i uh, i remember that game against uh melbourne up in queensland back in 2020 where he got stepped so badly by ryan Pop- pappenhausen that uh, kalen ponga snapped in half but the funny thing about that step was that the only reason kalen ponga almost broke his body in half was that he was trying so hard for the team to, <laughs> to to stop this breakaway, I think, try that, yeah. that ultimately eventuated. So Kalen's in a position where no matter how hard he tries, he still gets criticised for it. Correct. When he's not there, the effort's not there. He doesn't care. Why is he getting paid so much money? He just doesn't give a shit. When he's there and can't quite pull off the play, well, he's not good enough. You can't have it both ways. When two guys are going at a million miles an hour in open field, 
one guy generally beats the other guy. And if it was in reverse, Caelan would have beaten Pappenhausen at the same standard. It's That's rugby league at a fast pace. Bretto, do you think, and I think I know the answer to this, do you think the criticism of Caelan Ponga is warranted? Oh, no. <laughs> no. No. What do you think Caelan can do to put an end to that criticism? Honestly, I don't think the criticism will ever go away. Yeah. But the only way to denumb it a little bit and take a bit of the edge off it is to win. Yeah. Bruno, it's his team this year. You and I have spoken about this. You know, um, I mean, as much as it can be a fullbacks team, I sort of, you know, we live in an age where, yes, you, you do talk about the one six seven nine being the, the integral parts of the team, but you always have your star player. It's Kalen's team this year. Can he lead the team the way he wants to lead them? Yes. Kalen is at the point of his career now where the trajectory is either up or this is who he is for life. Okay. There's there's no now I've got I've got it in front of me, okay? So eighty three games so far in his career, thirty thirty eight tries, you know, four games for Queensland. Uh, second in the Dally M in 2018, and T. Denny Medeiros medals. Hmm. So he's at that point now where the inexperience argument is gone. Yeah. He's already started to achieve, so going into onto the big stage should not affect him at all. Those are stats of a very good player. Now, can he be an elite player? That's the question. Can he lead this side? Can as we talked about it last week, with the Knights of the team where you can watch them in one set and go, they're off today. Can he be the player that says to the boys, no, 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 this is not happening today, and create something out of nothing and drag them forward and get them over the line in, in games? Because that's what your million-dollar player needs to do. And if he can't do that, then he should be getting paid a million dollars, but we both think that he should. Well, I would tell you that he's already that he already does that, though. I mean, he did that against the Sharks at home last year. You know, he, 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 was, he scored or was involved in all of the points that we scored, literally scored the, the match-winning uh, try against the Sharks at home. He, he essentially single-handedly won us that game. I would say KP already does that for us. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but to me, he doesn't do it enough. He, do, he, he doesn't produce the one player that can turn a game enough. When the team's down, he can play, he can be really good, but your elite guys, your John Zoos, your Fitlers, your Nathan Clearies, they Nate, can... Darren they, Lockyer. Darren Lockyer. They can literally produce a player that blows your mind and turns the entire game. But I, one of the... One of the things that sort of kicked us off in doing this pod was actually the review we did of the finals game last year for um, the Big T. And one of the things we said after that game, one of the things that I think we agreed on after that game, was that in a lot of ways that game, it sort of felt like the arrival of Kalen Ponga. Like he he did everything he could to win us that game that day. And it was, it was sort of a bit like Joey in that 2000 preliminary final where he was just like, I, I can't do anymore. I just could not do anymore. I, I put everything I had out on that field today and I just couldn't get us those eight points to get us across the line. Yeah, yeah. that I, I Same feeling for me, mate. He, um, he made a few errors 
because he just wanted to win so much. He, he, there's a few a few parts that went wrong because he just knew it was on his shoulders to produce because Mitchell wasn't doing the job. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that's where the club out of their mind. They went, well, in the biggest game of the season, it was all left to Kalen. So let's give Kalen his million bucks and let's spend Mitchell's money somewhere else to help, try and help Kalen. So in the absence of peers, and I think this is why you and I have probably been quite uh, robust in terms of our opinion about the Knights this season, uh, Jane and Braley's injury notwithstanding, is that we sort of felt the Pierce departure didn't leave a hole. It created an opening for KP to finally take charge of this team. Yes, yes. This was, this was the moment where it went from KP's team in theory to no, it's just KP's team. Mm. Mitchell Pierce was Mitchell Pierce, and because of what he's done, everything everything he's done in the game, and he's standing, and he's the fact that he's the halfback, and he was a million dollar player. He tried to do a lot, and probably more than he should have, and it sort kind of sort of pushed KP at times into the background, and um, and I think KP was willing to accept that a little too much at times too, at times where he didn't demand the ball when he should have. And overcall Mitchell was now that excuse is not an excuse. And and look, I don't think he's ever going. I don't think he's going to need to. I mean, who's going to call for the ball ahead of Caelan Ponga? It's not going to be Clifford. Yeah, Clifford right. is. Clifford couldn't even. Clifford would refuse to call the ball over um over Mitchell Pierce. He, he's not going to do that to Caelan. Uh, Adam Clune, I think Adam Clune will be like the Olympics for him. He'll just be happy to be there. <laughs> so um, you're right. It, it's Caelan's team, and if he can, and I get the impression that the players like him. You, yeah. you you know when players feel right about the players that are around them, and you know, he's two time Danny Badiris medalist. You said it yourself. This is a guy that the players are like. No, we know this guy's good, and we're glad that he's that he's amongst us, and we want to we want to be a part of what he wants to do. Yeah, rugby league players aren't dumb. They know that their career has a lot of influence just on what. KP does. KP is not the be all and all of whether they win and they're successful and they drive their career forward, but he's a big part of it, and I'm sure a lot of you guys know that. So, Bretto, is is KP leaving? Is he going to be a one? Is he going to be a one? Well, no, no he, he did have those seasons at uh, at the Cowboys, I guess. But guess, but is he going to retire in Newcastle, or do we need to enjoy this last season of him? I don't think he retire in Newcastle, but he's certainly not going in the near future. Yeah. We um we haven't really touched on it at all, but I think it's something that needs to be discussed, and it only needs to be discussed from the perspective that you know it's a reality of having Kalen Ponga in your team. What role does Andre Ponga play in all of this? Um, clearly a big part because you know that they're a tight family and they just supposedly discuss everything. Nothing gets made. Um by KP, the whole family hasn't any sort of um, uh, contribution to his career and what happens and all that sort of stuff, and they sort of move together. So Andre definitely has a big part, but I certainly don't think that Andre is the puppet master pulling the strings. That's what I think. Some would have you believe. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, And who doesn't want their dad and a man that they trust, that they know has got their best interest at heart, 
do you have some say over what happens in your career? I think it says a lot about Andre Ponga in terms of the way he handles himself, the role that he took on with the NRLW team. Yeah. Like he, the Knights were only looking into that as to whether or not they could pay him to make sure that they were salary cap compliant. But I get the impression from that he was very much invested in that role, regardless of whether or not he was going to be paid to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he, he just took that role on. He just absolutely took that role on. And then, as you said, the Knights had to make a decision. Um, look, Bredo, I, I, I think, and people have talked a lot about their contract like they know the finer details of it. I certainly don't know the contract or, or what is in it. I, I, I remember there was this uh, rugby union clause, apparently, that was in there that I, I think is complete, was complete, completely ridiculous. But there seems to be some uncertainty around what he is and isn't allowed to do with his contract this year in terms of the player options. Does does Kalen have just a straight-up player option that he, one way or the other, has to activate this year based entirely on his whim? Or are there certain things that need to be met in order for him to get out of his contract? I, I'm... I'm still a bit up in the air or still a bit in the dark in terms of what the finer details are about his contract and the player options for those final two years. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Kalen can just up and walk away. I think there has to be certain criteria in there to be met. But, yeah, Kalen has that option that he can walk. But I don't think it's a matter of him just going, no, I'm out, guys. I'm not going to activate the last part of my contract and I'm walking out the door, there's a lot more to, a lot more to it than that, I think. Mm. I was a bit surprised when you said before you don't think he'll retire in Newcastle. That made me sad. Oh, mate, <laughs> it makes me want to cry. It's, it's thing, I just don't think Kalen's that guy. I don't think he'll be the sort of guy that just is happy in the one place, and I don't know whether he'll go to another rugby league team. I'm not certain. I think that they're, you know... My my guess, personally, would be that he ends up in European rugby. Whew, that's a big call. That is, you heard it here first on the Bay Fifty Three podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, KP to European rugby. Look, uh, all of that aside, one thing I will say about KP, and in terms of whatever whatever the knights and whatever the knights fans think about Kalen Ponga. The reality is, and it's as you said at the be- at the beginning of this piece, Kalen Ponga is a generational talent. There's there's actually no two ways about it. It's not it's not a debate. The it most is a talented sim- player that's ever wore red and blue, including Andrew Johns. So Andrew John and Andrew Johns will tell you that. Correct. <laughs> he he Correct. says that weekly in his um in in when he's commentating not well, not weekly but when he's commentating nights games he will tell you that. So. We have a very rare opportunity. We were very blessed to have Andrew Johns, and I don't think we maximised what we could get out of Andrew Johns as a club. But if we learned anything from Andrew Johns, it was that these are rare opportunities that don't come around very often. And where the Knights are involved, they come around about once every 20 years. Now, we won two premierships in the Andrew Johns years, Personally, I think we underachieved there. I think we should have won four. But what if we learn nothing else from that is that we need to make the most of these years and this time that we have Kalen with us. 
And Knights fans need to get on board. I I, I don't want to be the fan base any anymore that celebrates a Josh King because he tries hard, but we undermine a generational talent because he doesn't get the best stats across the board every single game. It, we need frust- to- it frustrates me about our fans so much. We will absolutely lord the trier, and I get it. That's the working-class Newcastle thing. We love a trier. But those guys are not going to win us premierships. We had a team full of those guys in 2016. We won one game. There's a lot of guys in that team that tried their backsides off and, you know, you'd let look after your kids because they're just good, honest blokes. I don't want them in my football team. I sometimes, I sometimes, and, and I'm guilty of this myself. I, I am not, I am not throwing stones from a, from a glass house. I, I get what I'm about to say is that I sometimes feel like we're afraid to embrace greatness. Oh, 100%. Like, like we're worried we're going to be let down by it. There's nothing wrong with celebrating Kalen Pong. Celebrate him. Like, people talk about – it's 20 years later, and people talk about Andrew Johns like we were all lining the streets praising him every time he walked along. That is not what happened. People have very rose-coloured glasses when they look back on the Joey years. They were so so critical of a lot of things that he used to – and a lot of the times they criticised him for not being up to standard, and I see that happening with Kalen. But the difference is Joey was a home – he was a homebody. This was his home. This isn't Kalen's home. He doesn't have to stay here for us. If if people don't want him here, what's keeping him here? Correct. That's – I'm convinced Newcastle fans want to be the underdog. We might say we want to be successful and we might hate the way it's been for 20 years, but we love in our expectations. We're so used to being disappointed that we don't want to get our hopes up, and I'm the worst for it. I hate expectation because all it does is crush me when it doesn't get met. But we have to embrace the fact that we have this superstar and this guy can win us multiple premierships. We have to embrace it. But our fans, at least half of them, don't. They criticise him more than anyone. And look, you know, we, we put our cards on the table as well. We we want to be uh, rational in our – and we, we we anticipate that we will actually be quite fair in our criticism in, in, of the team, of Caelan Ponga, of any player. Caelan Ponga has a bad day. We will call him out. Yeah, It's just from where we sit, we generally think that he doesn't have as many bad days out as some would have you believe. But on the back of that, Caelan Ponga, I, I, I think this is a make or break t- – year for the team for adam o'brien but you know as with our philosophy for the team in general for this season even with the jade and Brett, this is the year of no excuses and that yeah. applies to kaylin this year as well 100 i've defended every single bit of kaylin knight's career if he is only pretty good this year i think i have to accept the fact that kaylin's not going to be the savior that I think he is. But I still think he is that guy. I think he is the guy that it'll click for and barring any unforeseen injury circumstances, this is the year where everyone, not just the media, but everyone that has an open, honest mind goes, that guy can be the best player in rugby league in the near future. You are listening to the Bay 53 Podcast. Bredo, we're going to call it there. Uh, we've been going for a very, very long time. And it's late. 
it is getting late. I, I, I still, I still get excited talking about the Newcastle Knights. I sort of, <laughs> you know, for all of the, um, for all of the heartache that they do cause us, for all of the, the, the speculation that does go on in the background, um, you know, I still love them to bits. <laughs> How could you not? We are, we are the club that you just can't get out of your system. Correct. Um, so, Fred, look, well, I mean, that's been a, a very, very long uh, episode too. Um, and one thing I did fail to do at the beginning of this episode was give tremendous thanks to our sponsor, A-plus Contracting and Polywelding. We do recommend that you go to them for all your contracting and polywelding needs. Um, but... Um, Hopefully this uh, this episode is as well received as our previous one, and we get to do it all again. So, um, Bretto, what do you um, tell the listeners <laughs> what they can expect uh, from at least the next episode? What's happening over the next couple of weeks? Well, we're going to wrap up NRLW. Very much so. NRLW is going to be a real focus, so we're going to really dive into that, and hopefully we'll have a, at least one special guest in the near future. We've got another possibility of a, of a well-known rugby league name as a bit of a bonus episode, hopefully. That's a bit of a um, bit of a uh, work in progress. We'll see how that one pans out. But we're really going to start ramping up now into season. June's going to start playing soon, mm. so we'll, those, those things will come along. We're going to bring a well-known voice back for a night's season preview that everyone. Really love to hear this guy because I'm excited about that. Just because, very frankly, he's to me, he's the most switched on guy in our fan base. You know, he has the ability to take the emotion out of it. Besides, be quite the fact that he's as passionate about the red and blue as we are. And the other, the other sort of thing that I'm excited about is the Jesus game. Two weeks, me and you were there. That's 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 the thing. That's what I'm the most excited about at this point in time. I'm very much uh, looking forward to the um, to the Indigenous All Stars game. Bretto, you're Bretto Shank. I'm Yui Fuli fan. Um, you can find us both on Twitter, but also at Bay Fifty Three Pod, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Say goodnight, Bretto. Goodnight, Bretto. And um, yeah, we'll talk to everybody again soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Sports Best Friends would like to thank you for listening right to the end. You are our kind of people. Find other great sports podcasts in our family by subscribing. And remember, social media isn't a bad place. You just need to follow the right people.